0: Uh, For the uh, students here, I just want to say I'm suspending my Hebrew series today because of the Beeson Ministry Conference. Uh, I'm known for series that never end anyway, so (laughs) my Mark series went on for, I think, four and a half years. People came, studied, graduated, and left, and never got to hear the series, but I am uh, suspending my Hebrew series to to preach on this text from Galatians because the Beast Ministry Conference's theme is marked by grace, and this is the text that really strikes me as at the heart of that, of that theme. I also wanted to say to the to the uh, those who are coming to the Beast Ministry Conference, uh, we hope this is a time has been a time of refreshment for you, renewal. Amen. Praise the Lord. I. Um, I used to come, I, I used to go to the, when I first became a pastor, I'd go to the, like the, my official like, district meetings or whatever, and I expected them to be like a time of renewal. Oh, how naive I was. They were the most depressing events on the planet, and I would have to come back home and regain my sanctification, my faith in the gospel, the belief in the word of God, everything I had recaptured on the drive home. And so uh, I always longed for this type of event. Uh, what would it be, be like if you came to meetings that were like this? And so that's what this has been designed to do, and I'm so thankful that you had that. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. When was the last time you walked down and really noticed a cereal aisle? It is overwhelming. Now, you've got to realize you're talking to a cereal lover. Uh, my wife, Julie's there here in the back. We, we are like serious cereal eaters. You will never, I, I, I may be wrong, but I don't think I'm wrong. You will never walk into our house and find anything less than 15 boxes of cereal. <laughs> That's how committed we are to it. We eat it on all occasions, every occasion. In fact, nope, it's not here, but... But you know, there's the there's the kids section. You know, and they're all great, aren't they? Captain Crunch, sugar pops, Lucky Charms, Reese's peanut butter puffs, cinnamon toast crunch. They're all wonderful. And then, of course, there's the health section, kind of the things that came out of a factory or like a you know basic four, product nineteen, <laughs> whole brand, total. Fiber One, they're also wonderful. <laughs> and then Cheerios, which, by the way, is the number one cereal in America. But you know why it's number one? Because it's not just Cheerios. Even if you say, I want Cheerios, what do you have to decide? Okay, do I want regular Cheerios, multi-grain Cheerios, honey nut Cheerios, apple cinnamon Cheerios, oat cluster Cheerios. Even now, later latest, which I have at home, ancient grain Cheerios. I'm telling you, it is a metaphor for the world you live in. I know it's you know, almost tried to say, but I actually did grow up when there was black and white TV and three television channels. I'm telling you, we've gone from three channels to 3,000, and you still have to have Netflix. It's a crowded world we live in. I mean, uh, the Model T, when when, uh, Henry Ford was once asked, you know, can I have the Model T in any color I want? He famously replied, you can have the Model T in any color you want, as long as you want it in black. We live in a world that's crowded. And part of the challenge when you go into ministry and why this text is so crucial is that you find yourself in a very crowded environment where voices are coming from every side. Oh, you have to read the latest leadership book, and there's tons of them. And of course, we write them here, so, you know, read them. <laughs> we endless church growth techniques. We have to write, re, re, go to the seminars and webinars and you know, the, follow the latest blog and Twitter feeds. There's no end to it, the voices that are upon you. And in the midst of all of that, can we miss what lies at the heart of our ministry? What does it mean to live in the cruciform life? I was just in Houston, and I had, this is a true story. It's hard to believe, but it's a true story. I was speaking to one of our trustees, a pastor of a large church uh, north of Houston, that Joseph so grown might remember. <laughs> a, this church, uh, the pastor told me on his cell phone, he got the following message. It was... It was right before Easter Sunday. The Holy Week had happened. They had a lot of services. And the church, it's one of the largest churches in Methodism. Thousands of people coming and going, multiple services and so forth. And they have a a very important security team, actually, directing cars and traffic and people and everybody's safe. They have a full-fledged security team. And the man in charge of the team, his name is Jesus. J-E-S-U-S. Jesus, and so the pastor received this text on Saturday night before Easter Sunday, and it said this, Jesus will not be there on Sunday, Easter Sunday. (laughs) True story. Apparently when you text, you can't put accent marks. Jesus will not show up on Easter Sunday. The interesting thing about it is, if that was true, the service would go right on. So often in our churches, right? We have learned, we have mastered the key to like the ecclesiastical machine returning. And so the Apostle Paul breaks through all of this and says, May I never boast in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom I've been crucified to the world and the world to me. See, the Galatians had learned, and this is the embodiment of this text, the Galatians had learned to trust all kinds of things. They boasted in their flesh. They boasted they were of the circumcised. They were the ultimate insiders, and they leveraged that against the Gentile outsiders. This becomes symbolic of all the ways in which we trust our outward fleshly ways. And think about it. We have been trained to trust our flesh. The last thing we are is crucified to the world. And so this text kind of crashes in on all of our accomplishments, all of our techniques, all of our competencies, all of our desire to change the world. And God uses our competencies. He uses our abilities. He hones our intellect. All of these things are good things. They're all good things, even our desire to change the world. But all of it, can, and even circumcision, was designed by God to be a good thing. But like everything else, this which was which at the center of Jewish identity, Paul has the audacity to say, circumcision means nothing. How could he say that? A Jew, if a Jew said that, they got their tongue cut off. But Paul said it because what he means is that without Jesus Christ at the center of your life, at the sin of your ministry, and Him crucified, it all amounts to nothing. That's the Paul that we are hearing here. And so we come once again to this text where Paul says, I will never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Martin Luther once said that when we look at the cross, we are reminded of the, of the two glories of God in Jesus Christ. The first glory is the glory we all know so well. The glory of the resurrected, ascended, enthroned Christ on the the throne of of glory. This he calls the deus revelatus, the revealed glory of God. God coming eventually to judge the world. God in Jesus Christ coming on the clouds of heaven. God seated on the throne in Jesus Christ. But the other glory is the one that's wrapped in mystery the one that's hidden. He calls the deus absconditus, meaning deus, the God concealed. This is the mystery which we must enter into not only as ministers of the gospel, but in this season of Lent where we are following Christ in the way of the cross. The humility, the vulnerability, even the weakness of the cross that somehow there in our weakness, not in our abilities and competencies, but in our weaknesses, we discover something at the heart of the gospel, which becomes the very basis of our boasting, the only true boasting in the cross of Christ. In English, the Latin word "absconditus" that Luther invokes has come to us in English in two interesting ways. The first is the word absconds which you probably have never heard of. Go get a large dictionary. This is the word that is, it's a Roman Catholic word, actually. It's used in Roman Catholic churches, maybe, maybe the Episcopalian Anglicans, too. But the Roman Catholics would use it for the, the lantern. They would use at night for the night offices. What a great you know, symbol that is. That here you have this, the light of Christ shining in darkness, part of the power of the cross. We also use the word which you would know, the word absconded. It comes from the, the same Latin word. We use the word absconded when we refer to someone who has escaped arrest. The convict has absconded. He's gotten away and he's hiding in some secret place. We use the word absconded. This is really at the heart of the word, that somehow the God's glory goes to places that are hidden, places that are concealed that the world cannot discern or know. I once had an interesting debate with a Muslim in my previous life. I did a lot of, uh, hundreds of, of de- debates with Muslims and other religious leaders in my previous world life. And I was in this uh, gathering, and I forgot now where it was, but I was uh, debating a Muslim, and the subject came up about, I mean, where is Islam? You know, Where do we have overlap with Christianity? And where do we don't? All of that kind of things you normally get to. And he, once, he said to me at one point, he said, the one thing I know we can agree on is that Allah... I mean, the Christian God is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. Surely we can all agree on that. And I said, perhaps we can. I said, it is true that Christianity and Islam both affirm that God is all-powerful. But let me just say what else the gospel affirms. That the power of God, the greatest power of God is revealed the most profoundest in his weakness as he hung dying on a cross. That's where he's discovered the true power of God. He didn't know what to say. Islam only knows power as might, not power as weakness and vulnerability. Because see, that's hidden from the world. They can't discern it. They can't see it. And here we find it revealed in the Gospel. His kingship is never more revealed than in his servanthood. This is the amazing truth of the gospel. And this morning I want us to lift the veil and see that the cross is not simply something that God worked up to, you know, on the cross. It's something in the nature of who he is because this actually pervades not just how we view the cross but the whole of his ministry. Even on the first day of the incarnation, where does he show up? He shows up in the place of weakness in a stable. We find him talking to a woman at the well that was considered a heretic and an outsider. We find him talking to Zacchaeus around the table of fellowship. We find him in the presence of sinners. We find him touching lepers. You see, you, you can't bracket this off, can you? It's all of who he is in every way. We're seeing something about the nature of what it means to live in Christ as those who share in his crucifixion. So Paul is unfolding this for us. And I want to actually try to look at this text through three crosses. I think the only way to probably see this is through looking at three, and I want to show you the first one, the cross as the place of transformation. And this is the cross that we mostly see. And it's interesting that the church decided early on, because we see this even inscribed on the walls of the catacombs, that the cross would be the central symbol of our faith. Think about it. You have it in the catacombs. You have it even in some of the most fundamentalist churches that will say, we do not believe in icons. We will never put up any artwork. They'll have a big cross up there. I mean, it even trumps that. I mean, it, just, it can't be shut out. No one can shut it out. It always finds itself into the center of Christian worship all over the world. We don't have a picture of a Bethlehem manger. We don't have as our central symbol, like you know, Jesus' praying hands, as wonderful as his daughter painted them. We don't have a picture of an, even an empty tomb as the central symbol. But it was this text, and also Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, where he says, I delivered, to you as, I delivered to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins. That this becomes really the heart of the Christian faith. What Paul is saying here is the cross becomes the central symbol because it is the place where transformation happens. You see, the cross is where we find, if I can, I can quote E. Stanley Jones, that's where we find God's uh, or man's great no. Humanity's no. This is where men and women have effectively you know, shake their fist in the face of God and said, no, we don't want you in our lives. We don't want you in our world. And yet at the cross, God takes that and makes into God's great yes to us. And you may have, I mean, if you think about it, sin is all the ways we elect the absence of God in our lives, right? We have many, many ways where we elect at this point, this place, this time, this act, we, don't, we want God out of our lives. That's what sin is. And there's some of you here this morning. Or you may look back on your life. It might have been five years ago or one year ago or last week or whenever where you have a guilty verdict over your life. You have a no to God in your life that's still around your neck. I want to remind you when you look at the face of the crucified that there is no no that you can say to God that is greater than His yes. His yes swallows up all our no's. Thanks be to God. That's what the cross teaches us. That's the power of the cross. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not carrying against us our trespasses, all our no's, but nailing them to the cross, Paul says. Praise the Lord. That's the gospel. Our greatest act of alienation becomes his great act of reconciliation. The power of the cross, the worst thing that we could do to God in the planet was nail him to a cross. That very act becomes God's greatest thing he does for us, nailing our sins there. This is the gospel. That's why Paul says, I have no other boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. God does do his greatest work under the cloak of failure, and that's the absconditus that, Paul, that Luther points us to. Cory ten Boom, who lived under the worst ravages of the Holocaust... A great example of human sin. We see it today with ISIS and so many examples, it unfolds every week in our lives. But she said the, the sin that she witnessed watching her, you know, her father died, her sister died in Rovensbrock. And when she left that camp, she wrote in her book, "There is no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still." You see, that is the gospel that no one can perceive until they come into it. You will never, ever hate your sin enough to leave it. But if you can be loved enough and understand that, you can go and sin no more. That's the gospel. That's the gospel that's transformed all of our lives. We don't sin because we don't want to break the heart of our lover. As Charles said, Jesus, lover of my soul, he captured it. That's what we see in the cross. The second cross I want you to see is the cross that we actually use for our own uh, processional here in Estes Chapel. By the way, Luther's favorite cross. Because this cross is called the Christ the King cross. And this is also what Paul wants us to see here, that the cross is not simply a reminder of what God did in the pain for our sins, but it also reminds us of the victory he achieved over all of it. He is the risen, reigning Lord. He is the resurrected one. This is why Paul says, the world has been crucified to me. Think about it. That means the world has no power over me. We live under so much of the power of the world. Paul said, I've been crucified to the world. And I, and the world to me, the world has been judged by God. And Paul says, the world is under God's judgment. And the world thinks we're under the world's judgment and God will vindicate us in His time. The power of Paul said, they know Christ and the power of His resurrection. That's why Paul boasts in the cross because it's the power of God to transform us and to lead us on to that resurrected life. All of our sins have been buried with Christ and risen with Christ. We are now in Christ, the new creation. That's what Paul says in this text, Even circumcision means nothing, he says. What counts is new creation. Isn't that amazing? What counts is new creation. The third and final cross is this Celtic cross, which comes from our own English heritage. This cross has got to be one of the most amazing crosses because if you know the story of Northern England, what's today Northern England and Scotland, you know that the Roman Empire could not defeat them. I mean, the Scots are really tough people. I mean, the Hadrian's Wall and all the Hadrian's Wall, all those walls are built to keep the Scots out. They, they or maybe keep them in. <laughs> they are, this is really, really, I mean, think about it. Say anybody who eats haggis, wears a kilt, has a bushy beard, swings a Claiborne, and screams at you is hard to beat. <laughs> These are my ancestors, so I can say that okay about, about them. Uh, the, the Scots were tough; they just't they couldn't defeat them, and they, the, 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 the religion there, of course, was the re, re, one of the religions there was called the Druid religion, and the central symbol of the Druid religious practice was the circle. And when they went to uh, this part of the world, in several, there were several missed attempts. I mean these people couldn't think it was possible to bring the gospel to these people. These were rugged, wild kilt-wearing people. <laughs> and they, the gospel went there, and where the armies of Caesar failed, the love of Christ prevailed. And they brought the gospel there, and it transformed it. I, I mean, these Irish uh, gospel ringers were amazing. Ninian, St. Patrick, Columba, and aidan absolutely amazing figures in church history. And this, when, they, when the gospel finally really took root and they realized that they'd overturned all this paganism, they designed this cross, the Celtic cross. It's one of the few crosses in our world that actually shows the gospel's triumph over paganism. This is the cross, and the way it's properly presented is it is here, the cross over the circle. In other words, the cross triumphing over paganism and transforming even the symbol of paganism into a symbol of the gospel. That is what awaits all of us. To recognize that when we look out, we don't look out with fear. We look out at the world with faith. And one of my most favorite uh, icons in the world is if you ever go to uh, northern England, right near the border of Scotland, and, and when we were living there, we, we our family, I took our kids, my wife and I took our kids on all the pilgrimage. We went to Ninian's, St. Columba, you know, we went to all of the pilgrimage sites. Our kids they trounced themselves all over, all over the land. It was amazing. And we went to Holy Island. It's Linden's Farn. And there you'll find this statue, my most favorite statue on the planet. It's a picture of Aidan, the apostle to the English. And he was determined to bring the gospel to the pagan peoples of that part of the world, uh, English ancestors. And in the end, I don't know if you can see it very well, but he has this... Amazing look on his face. They have the statue oriented as it was when he arrived. He's looking out over a sea of pagan challenges, a world opposed to the gospel. And his face looks so triumphant, so expecting God to do great things. There's no fear in his face at all. Behind him it towers, this great Celtic cross of the cross empowered over paganism. In his left hand, he's holding up The the torch, which is a symbol, of course, of the light of the gospel that comes, the light of revelation, the word of God, the proclamation of God's word, the courage that we need to raise the light and bring the gospel. And then his right hand is the shepherd's crook. Remind us of the pastoral role of the the people of God. We, uh, We, our people, need pastoring. They need shepherding. They need care. They need guidance. They need to be protected from enemies. And all of that is embodied in this wonderful aden before the Celtic cross. This is what Paul means when he says to us, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Because it's at the cross that we see love in its final most definitive form. And Paul says, or, or John says, Perfect love casts out all fear. We live in a world where we're told to fear everything. You're told to fear economic collapse. We're told to fear immigrants. We're told to fear Muslims. We're told to fear minorities. There's no end to the list of people that we are called to fear. But at this point, we have a amazing opportunity as the people of God to rise up in our generation and say, we fear nothing but sin. We have no fears. We have the torch in our hand. The gospel is still good news for all people of all time and of all ages. There's never a time when we don't have the ability by God's grace to look at everything that we face, all the challenges, and know that God will prevail because it is His cross which goes before us. And so I pray that as we go out, whether it be returning to your place of ministry or those of us here studying and preparing, that we will never, ever forget that we have no other boast than the cross of Jesus Christ. It is through Him and through that that we ourselves are transformed, that we see the new creation breaking in at the resurrection, and that while we can, through faith, face anything without fear. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. We thank you that you have, through the cross, marked us by grace. There is no law that can change us. It is only the law of Christ, which is the law of love, which transforms us into obedience that the world can never imagine. Lord, help us, O God, this day to receive afresh the power of your life in us as the crucified one. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.